0: What's up, it's Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast presented by Coors Light. Stay inside and buy your Coors Light online. Find out how at get.coorslight.com. Coors Light, take time to chill.
1: Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports, ESPN 1000.
0: Well, every night at 8 o'clock, we give you something Bears and NFL Draft, and we turn to my friend Jeff Dickerson, covering the Bears since the Halas era. Uh, He joins us here from NFL Nation here on ESPN 1000. J.D., as always, I appreciate your time.
2: Uh, And your friendship, and uh, I'm told this might be the best wide receiver class since that 1937 draft I covered. (laughs) That was a barn burner, and that was a contentious press conference. Uh, by the Bears after that one. So, yeah, I I think um, 2020-1937, the top two wide receiver drafts I've ever covered. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Well, that's outstanding. I'd love to hear the sound from that, that you uh, brought to the station at that particular time uh, via the phonograph. (laughs) I would love to hear that.
2: I believe I was called a a, um, whippersnapper, a Mm -hmm. know-it-all whippersnapper, I think is what uh, legendary Papa Bear referred to me as. And, uh, yeah, I... I think that was a badge of honor. I wore that whippersnapper or remark with a badge of honor.
0: What's great about that is nothing's changed. <laughs> that's what Pace is calling you now. <laughs> young, young whippersnapper. JD, you're a young whippersnapper. We know what we're doing. Um, so that's what's happening now. I'll ask you this, sir. Do you? What is the number one pressing need for the Bears in this draft, the way you see Ooh, it?
2: Boy, I mean, there are, there are a lot to choose from. Um, I mean, I think what I think what they'll do at number 43, that's their first pick in the second round, I think they will look strongly at an offensive tackle. Now, I know Mel Kuyper, our, our great friend Mel, has been taking Cole Komet, the tight end from Notre Dame, at number 43 in the mock draft that he released uh, yesterday on ESPN.com. And certainly, tight end makes sense. I mean, they do have like 12 of them, but... None of them that make you feel a whole lot of confidence in. So, I mean, Komet is the best of a very weak tight end class. So, I mean, on paper, I think that would make sense. But, you know, this offensive line, Jonathan, uh, they need to rebuild this. And Juan Castillo, who's the Bears' offensive line coach, he likes really big guys. And I don't know if you saw Lewis Riddick uh, put out there last week that Austin Jackson from USC – is the type of guy that they're looking for. And, and that makes sense because Jackson is six five. You know, he's 325-330. Um, they want to get bigger on that offensive line. It's not a big line, except for Massey on the right side, Bobby Massey, and then Jermaine Effetti, who they signed to be a guard-slash-swing tackle, is about 6'5", 325. But if you look at the rest of that line with Charles Leno and James Daniels and Whitehair... I just paid Whitehair, so of course he's not going anywhere. But I think there's going to be a lot of changes in the next year or two on the offensive line, and it would not surprise me if it's a good tackle class, if someone like Austin Jackson were to fall to them, which might not happen. He might go higher than that in the second round. But I think offensive line is a great place to start, and then you can work out with cornerback, with wide receiver, maybe a safety late tight end, and at some point, I don't know if it's going to be this year because they only have two picks in the top 150, Jonathan. At some point, they got to start drafting quarterbacks to to, to look at the future here. I I don't know if it's going to be this year, but I'll tell you what, I saw Mel had Jalen Hurts at number 49, Mm -hmm. and the Bears were sitting there at number 50, and that should be at least something they consider, but my guess is they might end up going corner at that at that spot because that's a premium position. They gotta find another starting cornerback with Luka Mora gone. So I, I could see that in wide receiver, you know, you could wait until later to get a good wide receiver. This class is so deep. But but I mean as far as needs, there are there are a lot of them. I can't say that one is more pressing than the other, but at some point, Jonathan, they're gonna have to change up and address this offensive line because I think philosophically the type of offensive lineman they're looking for is changing now with these new assistant coaches in place.
0: So, so Jeff, here's a question that no one's asked you, and I believe is do you foresee someone in the draft early that would immediately start for the Bears? And the reason why I ask that question is of one of the holes, there's a lot of holes on this roster. I, mm-hmm. I, I We really kind of illustrated this last night talking about even though we see Pace trying to throw money here and throw money there and certain holes on this roster, there's still issues. So when I look at that one corner corner spot on the other side uh, of Kyle Fuller, I don't see a starter there at all. From Tolliver to Artie Burns, who's no more than a special teams player, and you know Trey Robertson and these other guys on the on that particular depth chart, I, I just think. We're looking at the draft, but someone's got to start here uh, on a couple of these spots. Is that the number one spot you're looking at as someone has to step in right away and be able to pay dividends? Because there's a hole there.
2: There is, there is, and it's safety uh, opposite Eddie Jackson. Now, maybe with Deion Bush and like Jordan Lucas, you could get away with that a little more safety, not having to play a young player. And plus two with safeties. Again, you can get those guys later in drafts. I mean, Eddie Jackson was a fourth-round pick, Jonathan. Now, again, the Bears don't have a fourth-round pick because that went to Jacksonville, their compensatory pick for Nick Foles. So you don't have a third, you don't have a fourth, you don't have a first. You got two seconds. It makes it more difficult. But absolutely, and let's take this one step further in the secondary. And I wrote about this tomorrow on ESPN.com. So Jonathan, they got to find some young, inexpensive starters in the secondary because Kyle Fuller's been paid. Eddie Jackson just got paid, you know? I mean, at some point you got to lower the cost a little bit. You just signed Robert Quinn. Now your two pass rushers are making tons of cash with Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn. Akeem Hicks is on a big contract. You're re-signed Trevathan. You know, Roquan Smith's the first-round pick. So my point is, is that you got to find a way to save some money somewhere. I think it's going to have to come in the secondary. You're going to have to draft a starter, I would think, at corner, maybe safety. But the thing about corners, you know, it, it, you you got to kind of take one high to get a good one. A little different than safety. If you look at the
0: corners
2: that um, this regime has drafted, now two of the three were were last year. It was uh, Duke Shelley and and Denmark, who was a converted wide receiver. Those were late picks. You know, DeAndre Hall was a late pick. They haven't invested draft capital in a high cornerback. But the last really good Bears corner that was homegrown is Kyle Fuller, and he's a first-round pick. You know, Charles Tillman was was a second-round pick. Um, So I I just think that makes a lot of sense that they're going to need to find at least one starter in their secondary from this draft. I, I think that needs to be done. And if they can't do that, then um, it'll be very disappointing to see how they fill those spots with the veterans fighting for the jobs.
0: Jeff Dickerson covers the Bears. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, on ESPN 1000, the brand-new ESPN Chicago app. Um, So I I want to ask you about this upcoming season because no matter what happens in the draft, it is about how the Bears can be one of the top teams in the NFC. So when you look at this roster, how close – is this roster to the Vikings and Green Bay?
2: Mm, I mean, I think defensively the Bears could be very good again. They should be very good again. They were they were top ten defense last year, and you know they got to figure out the corner spot, safety. Uh, but you got to think with Akeem Hicks back healthy, Khalil Mack has to be better this year. Didn't make a big impact last year. I think that's going to correct itself. You know, you, you kind of clear up the ambiguity at inside linebacker, bringing back Trevathan. Um, he'll be healthy, presumably, again this year. Uh, you got to get Roquan Smith back healthy, but the, the word is that he will be healthy, and he needs a much better year three than a year two. So I think defensively they're right there. The great unknown, Jonathan, is, is on offense. I mean, this was a really, really, really bad offense last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't just the quarterback. It was everywhere across the board. You look up the numbers, and whatever it is, the Bears are near the bottom, okay? So they got to figure things out on offense. So, so I'm, mean, you know, is it going to be Foles? Will it be Trubisky? How's that all going to mesh with an abbreviated offseason or no offseason at all? It's a, it's, a, it's a great question. So right now, I, I can't budge. I mean, I, I would say the Bears are right where they finished last year, around an 8-8 team. Uh, third place in the nfc north now i think what happens at quarterback and the impact that these new coaches can make on offense i think is going to determine whether this is an eight and eight seven and nine team or uh you know ten and six team fighting for the playoffs So, so right now and maybe you think differently but based on what we've seen so far this off season how can you move the bears off the third team in the nfc north can you
0: no, I just I see them as the third place team until and and here's where why I ask the questions because I know you've heard the rumors as well about Odell Beckham Jr. Whether or not he's going to be with the Browns this upcoming season or not, or will he go to Minnesota? Yeah, and it's just a report, so we have no idea how you know, whether or not it's close or not, but what if, right? If Odell Beckham Jr. is the guy that steps in and is the new wide receiver for the Vikings, well, once again, I could see them again solidify themselves as the second best team in the North.
2: Certainly possible. I mean, that would be a big weapon for them. Uh, I mean, they're, listen, they're a good defense. Uh, I think they, you know, certainly bounced back last year after that colossal disappointment two years ago. You know, I'm not Thinking that Kirk Cousins is the savior or anything, but he's their guy. And he's locked in now for the foreseeable future, and, and they're going to ride with him. And I mean, in Green Bay, you know, Green Bay was really ahead of schedule last year. I mean, I didn't think they were going to be that good year one uh, with Lafleur and Aaron Rodgers working together. Uh, the Bears have a have a big mountain to climb, but again, like you know, defensively, they did a pretty good job last year. But the fact that they missed the playoffs with a really good defense just shows you how far behind the offense was lagging. Does that get better in these, in this climate right now, when there's no off-season program except for the virtual stuff? We don't know when training camp is going to start. You know, there could be um, a big dividend here uh, with you know Rodgers being still in Green Bay forever. Cousins now entering what is his third year? I think with the Vikings. So he's entrenched with that system and everything. The Bears are the team that's had a lot of turnover. Can they get it together and make it work with all these other constraints? I think that's a great question. It's going to be an interesting storyline, and hopefully we'll get some answers if this thing uh, you know, gets going anytime soon, which we don't know.
0: Now, here's my way of tying recent history to what we have here today with the Bears. So, Give us the timeline of when you knew that Phil Emery was in trouble versus what's happening now with the slippery slope with Ryan Pace. How similar or how different are the two?
2: Oh, boy. Well, I mean, obviously, they're giving Pace a lot more time uh, than they well, gave
0: well, Um I mean, well, like, well the, like what if, right? What if the Bears don't make the playoffs this upcoming season? And this is year three of this versus Emory, you know, talking to everybody who would want to listen, and he was out after a couple of seasons. How similar is this?
2: No, I mean, I think that this is a critical year for the front office, and I, I think they know that. I I just don't think there's. I mean, how can you not realize that? I mean, they've only made the playoffs one time. You know, they've been here since 2015. They're on their second coach. Um, The quarterback thing just hasn't worked out. Uh, the first round draft picks, for the most part, haven't worked out. Um, they got a good defense, but you know they got to find a way to win some games. I, I, I think, I think you can. I think everyone knows that if the Bears don't make the playoffs next year, there certainly could be changes. I think with Emery, what was so interesting was um, I, I wasn't sure if they were just going to sink the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But um, when I knew he was really in trouble, like really in trouble was when they went to New England and, I mean, just got destroyed. You remember that game?
0: Oh, yeah. yeah.
2: And then they went to Lambeau and just got destroyed. And, and we're like, uh-oh, this is going way downhill. Then there was that Saints game on prime time, which was just a debacle. Um, so you knew during the season that at least the head coach was gone for sure. I just wasn't sure like, how, how, how deep the purge was going to be. Um, But one thing, though, and really, they have given Ryan Pace a a lot more time than they gave Phil Emery, which I do think is a good thing. You do want to give your GM's time, your executives time. But I think at this juncture of this, you know, regime, I think it's fair to expect that the Bears make the playoffs. If not, there could be some trouble.
0: Just remember, Emery gave you Kyle Fuller and gave you Pat O'Donnell.
2: He also gave me some really nice rides on his golf cart training camp. I I miss that. I don't get to ride on Ryan's golf cart in training camp. I, well,
0: you know? that's, that's because, Hatley, you just want to talk to anybody. That's why. You, well, you just I mean, pulled up in Bourbonnais. You know, J.D., jump in. Let's have a conversation. Sometimes the rides
2: were good. Sometimes the rides were unpleasant. It just depended on the day, but at least hmm. there were rides, you know? So.
3: Uh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well... See, that's why I just need to know how quick this trigger is going to be here because with what it, it was so quick and so swift. I'm like, because you're used to the Bears hanging in there, not necessarily like the Bulls, you know, holding on to guys for 30 years. But I, I, it was so swift, and I'm just like, that's a big question mark for me. Like, if this doesn't work, you know, we'll, we could Pace be out? And so I guess this season will tell a great story. This draft will tell a great story as well.
3: Yeah, it's
2: a tough draft. Again, you got two second-round picks. they got to hit on both of those and now you're talking about fifth, two fifth two-seventh. What I think needs to happen quickly here is well, they got to they get back in the third and fourth round and get the receiver then, okay? Like, they got to figure out a way to make some moves, take your two second-rounders, presumably. But you, I wouldn't wait to the fifth round to, to dip my toe in this receiver pool. It's a really good one. You can probably get a good player third round, fourth round. Right now the Bears don't have those picks, so I think getting back in a little earlier – is going to be a big key for them next week.
0: My friend, as always, I appreciate your time, and um, we're going to have fun with this draft. I'll be on uh, Thursday the 23rd with Freddie Coleman with a little NFL draft post, and then a full four and a half hours on Friday here on ESPN 1000 on the 24th for day two of the draft. Look at you, and we'll see
2: if I can get someone to call me a whippersnapper on one of the conference calls (laughs) after the (laughs)
0: probably. Maybe Emery will check in. Maybe <laughs> Phil Emery.
2: Oh, Phil. no, no, no. The IT person will get fired if he's able to patch himself in. We don't want that. We don't want
0: any carnage here, pal. We don't want that. <laughs> My friend, thank you as always.
2: <laughs> yes, we have. Um, I believe it's Joe from Atlanta on the line. Go ahead, Joe. Yes, Ryan. Um, this is Joe from Atlanta, not Phil Emery. I want to know why you've been so bad drafting in the first round. I'll hang up and listen for my answer. That would be
0: very (laughs) interesting. Go Falcons. This is Under the Hood
2: with Jonathan Hood
1: on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.
4: You're listening to Under the Hood.
1: Get the ESPN Chicago app for podcasts and the live stream from anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. Download in the app store today. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.
0: we here for my buddy Jeff Dickerson. We broke down the, uh, the Bears in the NFL draft. Who knows what the Bears are going to do, but I want to talk to J.D. about the previous regime, you know, the... Phil Emery and Mark Trussman, because it only lasts a couple of seasons. And so I'm wondering whether or not that Ryan Pace will have the same fate with the Chicago Bears. Because, you know, for Virginia Virginia McCaskey, tomorrow's not promised, right? She's just trying to figure out, I'm sure. And, again, we don't know her mentality when it comes to the Bears. We just see see her up there in the uh, skybox and luxury suites. She goes to all the home and road games. For the Chicago Bears, and just trying to figure out, I'm sure in her mind's like, wh- when's mine coming? When will we win a championship, right? And so, who knows? I don't, I don't know how long Pace has with this team, but I just know one thing: it's an uphill climb for sure uh, with this football team, unless we start to see some semblance of, um, you know, quality coming out of the draft and guys that are on this team that can pay dividends on this depth chart. We've gone through the last couple of nights talking about more so than Trubisky and Nick Foles at the quarterback spot. We know that that's going to be competition. It's going to be interesting, but I'm still wondering about the wide receiver spot. I'm still wondering about the tight end spot, even though the bears have 10, 11 tight ends on the depth chart. You are still trying to figure out, well, who actually can Trubisky throw to who can Foles trust in that spot. And then you look at the defense. You just want to make sure that's short up and then you move forward. But, all the stuff that we talk about, and we—I love to give balance on offense and defense on this show because even though you and I are big fans of the defense for the Bears, as far as what Khalil Mack brings, what Robert Quinn has brought to the table in the past, what we have seen from Roquan Smith, that inside linebacker, the the safety position with Kyle, with Eddie Jackson, with Dion Bush, uh, the corner situation with Kyle Fuller and how productive he is, how explosive he can be as a corner. All those things are are positives for the Bears. Now, can the negatives be on the positive side? Can the cons become the pros? Accentuate the positives, hide the negatives. The more negatives that are hidden on this team, the better. And... It's not the myopic view of can the Bears be as good as the Packers and the Vikings? Can they be as good as some of the top teams in the NFC? At this point in time, I see third place until we start to see exactly who's going to be starting in these spots and who could fill some holes because you give Minnesota and the Packers the benefit of the doubt. The only slippage I would see is if they have injuries or if it just doesn't seem to work out. But at this point in time, the Bears have something to prove, and it starts with the offense in this offensive league. Some thoughts from Kevin Fishbane. Kevin Fishbane talked about the defense uh, for the Bears. The defensive backs is always, to me, something to look at because it's already a strong defense, but you just want to shore it up even more so here in the draft and free agency. It with the draft right around the corner. Uh, Some thoughts from Fishbane about the DBs. None
4: of them are proven, and you just don't know what you're going to get. I mean, Grobers has never played an NFL game. I think Tolliver might have the physical skill set that you're looking for, but he's still an undrafted guy. Um, you know, he was inactive the first couple of games this past season, then stepped in for Amu late. Uh, so you, you, you kind of an idea what you have with him. They were really hopeful about him last spring. Um, so th- there is a lot that they like. Uh, I'm just not sure if they're ready to give him the job day one. You mentioned Artie Burns. Showed promise early in his career at Pittsburgh. Really kind of fell off there, and that's kind of a all right, change of scenery. I, I think that this is a, a position that if they want to go ahead and draft a guy in round two and, and still make this guy, make, make whoever it is, compete for that role, I think you're in a good spot because, you know, Kyle Fuller's a huge cap number in 2021, and then his contract voids, so you got to start thinking about the future here. Uh, at corner. I, I'm very curious to see You know that this is one of those positions they don't really draft corners. Uh, they haven't in the first three rounds since Kyle Fuller in 2014. Um, but they might be sitting there thinking, we really like Kevin Tolliver. We think we have some intrigue in Roberson and Burns. We're fine. We don't need to use a premium draft pick on the spot. So that's just one of those things, Jonathan, where it's going to be really interesting where the draft will tell us a little bit about what they think of these guys, but because we're not going to have OTAs in minicamp, presumably, we're really not gonna have any idea what the coaches really think about some of these open positions until whenever it is we get to see the team on the
2: field.
0: Some also thoughts from uh, from Earl Bennett. Earl Bennett was on the show yesterday, always affable, always fun to talk to. Earl Bennett was on the former Bears wide receiver, has his uh, Pro Style podcast, wherever you download your podcast, look for Pro Style Podcast, some funny Funny stories from Earl Bennett from his days with the Bears. So Earl was on talking about a number of things, but what resonated with me so much was Bennett talking about the quarterback situation for the Bears.
3: I definitely see Mitch starting off the season as the starting quarterback unless something catastrophic happened in training camp where Mitch hurt his shoulder, hurt a knee, or get injured any sort of way. But when you look at what management is doing with Ryan Pace, it's really trying to – Fill those holes if, right? If Mitch doesn't work out, then we can bring in Nick Foles. If Robinson doesn't work out, we have Robert Quinn. So you're bringing in the older guys that you know have been productive in the league to fill those holes to be the wet if. But honestly, I feel like this is a make it or break it year and pace, and they have to show up. Otherwise, if they have another, you know, let's give them more, enough time to really try to turn this franchise around and it just hasn't happened but yeah when I look at some of these guys who are on the other side of 30 who are older they've been productive in spurts now it's about can they put it back together to be productive for the Chicago Bears in 2020 we'll see
0: you know what is interesting about what Earl said talk about make or break it for um, for Ryan Pace could you imagine if it is a make or break situation where the bears will draw a line in the sand and say that this is it like either this team's going to contend and i don't even know what the standard is for the bears that's another thing too like i could give you some thoughts on that just on guessing but i really don't know what the line is to for pace to be able to continue in the position and this is why We're just waiting to find out when we do have a season, what this Bears team looks like. Because say, for instance, Ryan Pace is told, if you don't succeed now, then we're going to look elsewhere after the season, right? So here's what you've done. You've thrown money in holes on this roster, You've thrown money uh, at the defensive side of the football because Leonard Floyd didn't work out. You've thrown money at the quarterback spot because Mitch Trubisky has under underachieved last year. And you could say last couple of years, he has not been the quarterback that you thought he was based on the uh, the draft that he was in. So you've thrown money at, and a lot of money, at the tight end spot for a guy that used to be on top of his game at Jimmy Graham. So if... The Bears underachieve this upcoming season. So what does that say for pace in the future? Like make it or break it is a strong comment from Earl Bennett. But it's not like we haven't seen this before. We just saw this with Emory and Tressman, where after a couple of years and all that talk and those you know two hour press conferences, nobody cared. It was about wins and losses. But the other side of that, which is very difficult is that if there is a change, if it happens, and I've I've got a bullseye squarely on the forehead of Ryan Pace, not now, but for the last three years, because it's important for the Bears to be good. You've got to be able to have sustained success. If it does come to pass, and they, they will look for someone else, then you're starting the franchise over. Now, you have a different philosophy in the front office. Now, this may not be a reflection at all on the head coach for this team, and Matt Nagy. But it could be on the GM, but that's that's something. And you hate to be like a lot of these teams in the NFL, where someone has three or four years and it doesn't work, so you get, get rid of them. But it, when you have a defense that's so good, you don't have time to wait, right? That's the thing. I just I hate to see these defenses wasted, even during the time the last time the Bears were in the in the Super Bowl, defense wasted. Defense was strong, special teams was strong, but the offense wasn't good enough. The offense has killed the momentum of so many teams from getting to the mountaintop in this franchise's history, especially the recent history. It really is not great. <laughs> I hate that I hate that, that happens. We've seen some cr- quality players defensively, but offense seems to derail it more times than not. We've got a very special Tales from the Hood coming up next.
1: This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Everybody. On ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. It's under the hood. Follow us on the ground at IGJhood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000.
0: So back in 1990, yeah, like late 80s into 1990, there was a... Um, there was a network that was out there for everyone to watch, and it was the Fox Network. And I thought, this is strange. I'm used to watching CBS, NBC, ABC, locally WGN. So, what is this Fox Network? And it was kind of on a funky channel. It was on uh, Channel 32 in Chicago, right? And still is. And it just like. <laughs> <laughs> at the time you're like okay this is strange Yeah, I get the um, the antenna out to make sure that i can get a good picture here what's going on with this fox network they don't have actual programming well one of those original programs was in living color and in living color the original release was april 15th 1990 and we're, we're gonna celebrate that because that was a great four-year run for a show that was on the same wavelength of saturday night live or Uh, some of these other sketch comedy shows. Ken Ivory Wayans was a big part of of that show um, because he was the founder in the uh, the beginning of that show that was on Fox that was very successful. Same show that had um, Kim Coles, that had David Allen Greer, that had all the Wayans, Damon Wayans, Kim Wayans, Sean Wayans, Jamie Foxx was on that show, uh, and so many others that were able to really make a name for themselves, including Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey, of course, a successful uh, actor, comedian, writer, artist for a long time. Uh, also amongst that cast was Tommy Davidson, if you recall, um, because there's so many funny characters that were involved. This is a show, by the way, that was getting tens you know, on a regular basis. I know it's a different time, but they were getting like tens and nines in the ratings on um on Fox TV, and it was just tremendous. So I got a chance to talk to Tommy Davidson not too long ago uh, about his days working on the cast of In Living Color. So Tommy, tell me, who who right now makes you laugh when you're watching television or you go to a set, who makes you laugh? Mm, that's hard to tell.
5: I, I, you know, right now it's hard to tell that because there's YouTube and all this other stuff going on, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't really watch comics because I live in my own bubble. And even the comics that are like supposed to be the hot ones, you're not kind of funny up to my standard of funny. You know, my funny is a different funny.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of storytelling, and there's it's usually it's a lot of rapid fire. Um, where do, where was your your some of the guys that you looked at for comedy uh, to kind of inspire you?
5: Pryor, uh, George Collins, um, Eddie. You know, I, I I um I watched the best roll out boy. Robin Williams was badass. You know, just, just uh, I came up in that atmosphere watching them at the comedy store. And so that's, that's what built up my comedy, Paul Mooney. And I was watching them, watching, watching some really skilled people. Some people that don't have such big names like Don Herrera and Charlie Fleischer. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, what is today's comics missing? What are they missing today?
5: You know, I don't know because I don't see enough of them. <laughs> <But> <laughs> oh, come on. There's um, not a lot of stage time. Not a lot of, you know, I guess in, in the fight world, it would be ring experience, you know? Right. You know, the, the, the comics that come from my era really worked a lot. Rather got paid for it or not, you were trying to be, your material was what was important, you know? So you had to build up and build up and build up and build up and build a material. You couldn't get in the club with, with five minutes of material unless you're going to just open up for the, you'd be open an act, mm-hmm. you know? By the time you start doing middle at a club, you got to have 25 minutes. And if you're a so, headliner, you've got to have an hour.
0: So it's, it's kind of like uh, being able to have reps and just get better and just continue to take gigs exactly. and just try to get better, right? And so maybe not enough young comics are doing that enough. Because like, that was your career. That was your experience, right?
5: Mm-hmm. But it works different. You can have a comic that can have a million hits and be hot on the Internet, and a venue will hire them. A venue will hire them. And they'll sell the tickets. But that doesn't mean that acting is necessarily going to be good.
0: I want to find out what it was like for you to uh, eventually meet uh, Sugar Ray Leonard and Sammy Davis Jr., (laughs) because Sugar Ray, let me tell you, because... And people, for young people that don't know, not only was Sugar Ray a terrific boxer, but also was a, a prime commentator on HBO. He was like the number one color analyst. And so when you first did Sugar Ray Leonard, it had me rolling because no one did that. It was so unique. What was it like meeting both of those guys?
5: Actually, it was really cool. I never met Sammy. Never had a chance to meet Sammy, but I did not meet his wife. Mm-hmm. Me and his wife went down a long road trying to get his movie done. And unfortunately, God bless her, she's died in the process, you know. Mm -hmm. But I got a chance to be embraced by her. And uh, Ray Leonard boxed in the same hometown that I'm from. And I started boxing because of him. I finally met him. He was, like, looking up to one of my idols. But he looked at me one time when I was doing an impression of him. (laughs) And there was a look in his eyes. And I just realized, like, he knocks people out for a living. (laughs) Right, exactly. I wasn't even really paying that much attention. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. He gave he gave me a look, boy. Well, you would not believe, <laughs> just for one second. You know, if Hagler can't beat him, you know I ain't going nowhere near him. Exactly. You know? <laughs> right. I could do about four setups total, too.
0: Oh, it's just it was just so perfect, and so. I, but this for that fleeting moment, the you thought, well, that, maybe, right? yeah, you thought something was going to happen.
5: Yeah, the timing. Yeah, just for a second. No, just for a second. I think he he wanted me to realize that. He gave me a, kind of like a blank stare, kind of look through me. I was like, I was like, okay, I know what that means. You know what I mean? I may be funny, but you know.
0: Right. Exactly. You don't don't mess with me.
5: Right. You may be funny, but. Right. Thurman <laughs> Thomas gave me that look too one time.
0: Oh, what what happened I there? From
5: comedy. Yeah. I was doing some comedy at Derek Thomas's Celebrity Golf Tournament. You know, I was kind of making fun of him, and he gave me a look. I was like, oh, I'm going to shift over to another player. <laughs> I just saw his football life, by the way. Yeah, I so got to say he's on one of the greatest running backs. Yeah, yeah. no question I about I got to say he's one of the greatest running backs in the NFL. Yeah. He didn't get a lot of attention, and he's right about that. But when you look at his body of work, you look at the numbers, and if you see that uh, football life, you're going to know that he's –
0: one of the top running backs of all time. Tommy, I, I, I'm very interested in um, your involvement with the Fox Network on several levels um, mm-hmm. because, of course, when you were on A Living Color, many of us here on the South Side had to break out antennas just to see you on A Living Color because <laughs> Fox Network <laughs> was not on the uh, usual uh, channels, uh, right? Uh, you re- uh, recall this, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So, so mm-hmm. what was what was your early moments and memories of, of working with Fox because Coming in, it was Tracy Ullman, and the short on that mm-hmm. show was The mm-hmm. Simpsons. There was Married with Children. 21 Jump so, Street. 21 Jump Street. Good programming, right? And so, Yeah,
5: with, um, with uh, Johnny Depp.
0: Right. What did you think of the Fox Network when you first started working there?
5: I didn't care, as long as I was on TV. Mm-hmm. You know, I noticed that it was in a news lot, so it wasn't like the other TV networks' lots. It wasn't fancy. But you know, they backed us up. And going around the country and doing all the affiliates, doing all the news, all the Fox news around the country, I became a star because of the Fox network.
0: There's no question about it. And I I think that the other thing is, with that, Tommy, is that many thought when the NFL started going to to Fox, they thought, okay, is Bart Simpson going to be doing pre- and post-game? There was a lot of fear of Fox because it was so new and brash. Mm-hmm. The television was nothing mm-hmm. like CBS, NBC, ABC, and the traditional mm-hmm. networks. And mm-hmm. so I think that that was, and, and also they thought maybe Fly Girls would be the, the cheerleaders from In Living Color. There was a lot of fear there. <laughs> what, what do you right. remember about the NFL uh, aligning themselves with Fox?
5: Uh, hosting the Super Bowl halftime. Yeah. And I think, I know for sure that that's when Fox started thinking about having NFL on the network because we beat the Super Bowl halftime in, in ratings mm-hmm. that Sunday when we aired our we aired our our live show right when the Super Bowl came on and we beat the Super Bowl's ratings. So I would have to think that that's why Fox got into the to the not the only reason why, but I think that was one of the the, the things that pushed it in that direction.
0: And then you did some work with NFL uh, on Fox as well. I
5: did. I sure, I sure did. And we were actually preceding all the other sports shows that, that are casual. You know, usually sports shows have anchors with the suits and the ties, and it subject matter is all sports, you know. Mm-hmm. And we mixed some pop culture in with sports on the NFL show that I did. So that kind of gave it that. Now, if you look at the NFL network and the shows that they have, they're very similar to the shows that I had on thought
0: for football. Yeah. Tommy, I want to find out your thoughts on, on radio because I've heard you multiple times on the Tom Joyner morning show. Do you mm-hmm. think that somewhere down we'll the out. line that you would be able to do a daily uh, show syndicated? Because I think that that would be great.
5: It would be good, but they better, they better write me a big old <laughs> Man, I tried radio. <laughs> radio is not. Easy right. at all, you know. It's one of the best. It's, it's one of the best forums, though, and I would love to do it, but it just would have to be worth my time because there's a lot of time that you spend there doing things for the station and doing things for your program that takes a lot of time past your work hours. Mm-hmm. It's a heck of a gig, boy.
0: And Tom's been in it forever. It. Yeah, and Tom joyner has been in it forever. Have been Sybil Wilkes.
5: Oh yeah, <laughs> I know, right. <laughs> they made it work for him you know yeah
0: i I haven't met civil well i'd like to meet her one day what is she like yeah she's cool she's cool
5: yeah she's been around i mean i've been around as long as those guys you know Mm-hmm. I, I remember when tom journey used to take his idea of syndication was taking a plane to the next city
0: right <laughs> yeah, you know flying fly between here and dallas he was he did shows right. in chicago and shows in Dallas like every day that's that's crazy right
5: yeah, it's just amazing. That's when he uh, said, You know you ain't got to go there, right? You got to do is right? broadcast signal,
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> but he decided, he was, yeah, he's like, yeah, you could do it actually both in one spot. And he said, oh, I could? Right. Oh, okay, I'll do that, sure. Um, but they couldn't Tommy, do it technology-wise back then. No, he could not. Um, Tommy, I, w- I want to know about the first time that you received the script for Booty Call. What was your initial reaction?
5: Oh, I knew I was going to do that movie. My Actually, their initial, initial reaction was, we don't want you. Really? Like, yeah, I had to go away. When I came to do that movie, they told me to go away. So, ah, we, yeah, we're not, we're not what we're looking for, you know. So Bill Bellamy stepped in, and I guess they couldn't make his deal work, and they called me back.
0: Mm. I, I can't picture that movie without you being there because it's such still an iconic movie. How many people ask you about that?
5: Everybody. Everybody who right. knows any better about about funny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like you're still like, it's about still funny. iconic today. That, that your dance scene and just a lot of scenes. That, and actually, it helps, brothers. It helps us. It's still a guide mm-hmm, to be able mm-hmm. to figure out what you want to do in relationships.
5: Exactly. Exactly. I just was actually watching that same scene myself about a week ago.
0: <laughs> can you believe that's you?
5: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can. Well, as long as I got a mortgage, I hope I can keep
0: doing right. it too. <laughs> Are you in the checks still come in, right? From syndication? Right. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. But they're like a buck thirty five. <laughs>
5: <laughs> you know. Oh, I my get 365 of them, I got something. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> you
0: know. You can do so with that loose change, though, right?
5: Right, exactly. There's always Costco, man. Right.
0: <laughs> Tommy Davidson joining me, Jonathan Hood, on ESPN 1000. Uh, the sensitivity of people today, have you noticed a difference in uh, crowds and audiences, Tommy, say 10 years ago versus now?
5: Mm, they're just a little bit. More kind of a little fearful of certain things you say. Mm-hmm. I don't think everybody's really clear on what's really going on. A lot of confusing messages Americans are getting. So you know, not know what to laugh at. I make nobody mad, and you know, everybody's such a uh, mob mentality. You know, all this stuff going on. You know, the media and politics pitting blacks against whites, which hasn't happened for so long, and it's not the way we feel about each other. You know, it's been promoted by certain parties or whatever. And then the violence that's going on with just random violence with the kids and in churches and stuff like that just seems like American people as a whole are just being attacked by a lot of negative. So you can feel when you're going through those, when you're on stage, you can feel when you're negotiating through those hard curves. I never really had a hard time with that stuff because I always was aware of what was going on, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, what's going on in life. You know, everybody wants the same thing. So I just kind of base my comedy on that and don't keep try too far on politics and all that, that bull, you know,
0: it's just, it's just that, that there was a time, it doesn't matter if it was a Republican or Democrat that's in the office, mm-hmm. if somebody could do the impersonation or if there is a funny story out of the white house, it's just part of the routine. Mm-hmm. And now you're seeing people walking out because of the era of, of president Trump. It is, it's definitely a far cry than what we use or used to even just a few years ago
5: yeah i mean if some if 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 a certain political figure is having you walk out of a club, mm-hmm. then you know as an individual, you are listening to the wrong political figure. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know if someone is going to have you walk out of a place where the object of the game is to laugh and have fun, then what kind of influence is this politi- what kind of influence is this politician having on your thinking, and where are they coming from? you
0: know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah I, I get you there's no question yeah. i um i want to get also your, your thoughts on uh, on voice acting because i i find it fascinating uh that the personalities come to life i was talking to sean wayans about this and how difficult that is to be able to because i think he's part of an animation where he's doing the voices and also trying to create the figures what, what's voice uh-huh. acting like for you your your first role in that
5: Oh, I started way back with Ren and Stimpy mm-hmm. and The Simpsons doing voiceovers and stuff. So I've been doing it a long time. With the Proud Family, yeah. Black Dynamite Cartoon. I mean, just, just cartoon after cartoon. Just watching an old cartoon that I did called Cool um, Like That Christmas. Mm-hmm. Me, Ruby Goldberg, voice to Men, we did a Christmas special, an animated one. So I've done, like, dozens of cartoons. It's just another one of the skill sets I got.
0: After after watching cartoons and then seeing yourself on there, that's that's got to be kind of cool.
5: <laughs> it's, it's it's better than acting because there's no camera on you, so right, right. I could do whatever I want as long as I can make the sound. You know.
1: This is under the hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN One Thousand, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks. under the hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow on Twitter at
0: tweetjhood. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, the brand new ESPN Chicago app. We learned about the passing of Hank Steinbrenner from the New York Yankees, so I decided to reach out to my colleague from ESPN New York. Uh, it is Chris Carlin, and he joins me here on ESPN 1000. Chris, I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the show.
6: Anytime, Jonathan. How are you doing?
0: I'm well, thank you. I just want to get your thoughts, your memories of, of Hank Steinbrenner with the Yankees. When you first heard the news, what was your initial reaction or memories?
6: Well, I mean, it was, it, it obviously was sad. He was only 63 years old, but he had been uh, battling an illness for a while. Um, it didn't have anything to do with, with COVID, but he's, um, he was the guy, Jonathan, that um, from a media standpoint, you were hoping would kind of take over. That was the initial plan when George, um, you know, when his health was declining and they were putting together their succession plan. You know, at first it was going to be his son-in-law and uh, Steve Swindle, and then they, uh, his son-in-law and his wife got divorced, uh, the daughter uh, of George, Jennifer Shonbrenner. And then Hank seemed to be the next logical choice. And, you know, he started to come out, and he had that bluster of his father, and it was pretty entertaining. And, and that was, you know, from a, from a New York media standpoint, from an entertainment standpoint, uh, you were hoping that hank was going to be the guy but at the same time um you know ultimately it, it just felt like his heart wasn't into it you know he was a lot more interested in horse racing uh, down in florida the family has you know raises horses and um that was kind of the business that he preferred more than anything else so he and his brother hal his younger brother hal kind of decided about a year in or so in 2008 that um, Hal would be the one who would ultimately take over as the managing general partner.
0: Did Hank? It sounds like, to, from your standpoint, he you didn't necessarily crave the spotlight like George and others in the organization, right? You know, at first you would have thought yes, but as it turned out, not really.
6: Um, you know, at first the the most memorable Hank moment is the 2007 World Series. A Rod it gets announced during game four when the Red Sox are about to finish uh, sweeping the uh, Colorado Rockies is opting out of his contract. And Hank had basically threatened Arod, don't do that. Now, just to provide context, why they did not want him to do that was because when they traded for Arod and he was on that initial 10-year and $252 million contract, they were getting money from Texas to pay some of that salary. So if he opted out, they were losing out on it. So he opted out, and Hank called a writer, uh, Tyler Kepner from the New York Times, who had tried him earlier to get his reaction, uh, just as Tyler was getting into the Red Sox celebratory clubhouse, and said, you know, basically, what does he want to do? Go into the Hall of Fame as a member of the Yankees or the Toledo Mud Hens? <laughs> and, you know, and, and this is all on the record. This was that's where you're starting to think this guy, this guy's going to be great. He's going to be George part two. And then, you know, he just, I guess his, he was not that into it. Like it was not a thing where they felt like, Oh, he's, he's too crazy. We can't let him be the face of the organization anymore. He just didn't really want to do it, you know? And, and it was strange. He, he knew everything about the minor leagues. He knew about prospects. He knew about other teams. Incredibly knowledgeable guy, but as it turns out, his heart just wasn't in it. And, you know, from purely a selfish standpoint, it bums me out to no end because you can't get Hal to say much at all. (laughs) <laughs> he is, mm-hmm. you, as it was written today, and I forget who wrote it, I give him credit, you would need a D- DNA test to make sure that he was George's son, uh, <laughs> yeah. and how different he is from his father.
0: Talking about the passing of Hank Steinbrenner with Chris Carlin from ESPN New York with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Chris, as we all knew, I could feel it from Chicago, the heaviness that George Steinbrenner brought to the table for the Yankees, always entertaining, back and forth with uh, with Billy Martin, and just obviously the championships, the winning, all that. How can you compare the eras? Do you have that feeling of heaviness with this group of Steinbrenners versus George?
6: I don't think that there's the same day-to-day pressure. Mm-hmm. With George, there was that... You know, everybody was always walking on eggshells around that organization. Um, The Yankees want to win. There's no getting around that. But, you know, would you have had Joe Girardi be the manager for 10 years like he was? uh, I would say that would have been unlikely. Uh, You know, they haven't won the World Series since 2009. Um, That would not sit well with George, even though they were in the postseason as much as they were. You know, Hal is a very competitive guy, but he does not fly off the handle uh, in front of the media or or to any media in particular. Um, That's not his style. He is very different. So I think there's more inside the organization of a, I don't want to say a lack of pressure, but there's not the constant weighing on top of them that there was with George. But George was that way for a reason. He felt like he was always getting the best out of people. But motivation by fear. Um, I don't think that Hal necessarily operates that same way, and that's the big difference. I mean, when when you're motiv- when when you're you know just constantly fearful of your job every day, um, it does bring out the best in some people, and in others it doesn't. So, you know, it's just a different style altogether.
0: How's everything with uh, with you and your family, Chris? Uh, you know, you and I, t- a couple of weeks ago, talked about what's going on with you in New Jersey, me in Chicago, uh, during this COVID-19. And, you know, sports is so far away from my mind right now when we think about this crisis. I just want everyone to be healthy first before we can even discuss seeing uh, on the, an on-the-field product.
6: Yeah, I, I, same thing. You know, I, I am um, doing my show every night. Um, same time, I, we're focusing on trying to just not even uh, talk about it a whole lot because it just strikes me that, you know, we're all living it day to day. We don't need to talk about it. Uh, we need to find that distraction from it. We're, we're all good. Um, you know, our, um, Governor Cuomo here in, in New York and, and Governor Murphy in New Jersey uh, have both been very out front. Governor Cuomo said the other day they felt like they may have hit the apex of this but look, it's tough day to day. You know, when you see those numbers go up as starkly as they do, uh, you're you're just hoping that sooner rather than later, uh, you can get back to some semblance of normal like everybody else. But um, I, I feel the same way you do, Jonathan. I I just don't want to see anything rushed just because we need entertainment. You know, yeah. we understand that there are financial implications that come with this, but there's no need to put anybody's health on the line you know we had a a tragic passing of a young man named anthony causey who was a sports photographer for the new york post 48 years old who passed away from this this week and you know when you realize it's not just the older people you know you want to make sure that uh, everybody is safe and everybody comes back at the right time
0: chris i'm glad you spent some time thanks so much for coming on the show
6: anytime Jonathan. great to be with you
0: is uh, Chris Carlin from ESPN New York with me, Jonathan Hood. Thanks for being with us this hour, right here on ESPN 1000. This
1: is
3: Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.